HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with a smiling Alex Cruz. Thank you so much for coming all the way down from Canada. Thanks for from, from Montreal. Um, I met Alex, I don't even know how many years ago, feels like a lifetime ago, when uh, he was part of DNA Restaurant with our good friend Derek Daman. Uh, introduced me to beautiful Okanagan wines about uh, products in Canada that I'd never seen in North America, and yes, Canada is part of North America, um, and now runs, founded, is partner too, and one of the most prolific sales reps for Society Orgnal, um, a company that is a purveyor of Quebecois uh, provisions. It's kind of amazing. I, I'm reading through your stock list right now, and especially your summer 2013, you know, inspiration list in a sense, and they seem so familiar, some of the things there, yet seem so foreign. And, you know, you're just our neighbor to the north. What is society, orignal? Well, actually, what does the word orignal mean? Uh, orignal is a moose. Yeah. So, um, uh, actually, yeah. So, in Quebecois, we say uh, a moose is orignal. So, technically, that's pretty much where we launched the company about having the name Société, that actually means society. And orignal, that is a take on the, on the name original, that is like... And uh, combined together is just about being able to have a creative platform that uh, re- that regroups all the society, right? So, so, I mean, let's talk about creativity. Some of these things that you sell, seahorse honey, raw Lauritian honeydew, mm-hmm. uh, cam- camelina oil, arctic rose, 
where do you find these? Where do you source them? What, what, what's your sense of inspiration to even put these on your website and try to sell them to you know, chefs and cooks alike? Well, I think, uh, and we had the chance to talk about it uh, before, I think it's about living in our present. Um, we, we go around, we, we, we meet with people. Uh, we have the chance to have the access to restaurants that is such a great base of creativity and inspiration as well. And going around to the farms, and it's like a bridge, right? So you connect farming with restaurant business. So um, at first we created a bridge because there was a, because there was a gap, right? So we minded the gap, but by adding to that gap, we found all kinds of creativity. And, um, you know, like there's all kinds of farmers doing interesting stuff. Like there's all kinds of uh, restaurateurs doing crazy stuff. So it's just about, you know, like uh, be foraging around, getting the information and uh, taking chances too, you know. So let's talk about interesting. Defining that, you know, uh, is different than most people think. It's not just going out and finding the most beautiful tomato. It's finding a tomato with history, uh, a varietal that means something more than it just being delicious. Because you were telling me about Huitlacoche. Yeah. Huitlacoche, which in my mind isn't really an indigenous product of uh, uh, Canada, of Quebec, of Montreal, but you're telling me that it kind of is. Well, you know, like taking it back, uh, when you take a look at the First Nations of, uh, of Quebec, there's the Iroquois Nation. And uh, the Iroquois Nation actually comes from the Yucatan in Mexico at the base. Uh, that slowly, slowly they went up to through United States, and then uh, the Great Lakes was actually a big like concoction uh, there. So um, uh, corn was actually integrated very quick uh, to uh, to the market in uh, Quebec. It was actually the first imported ingredient that arrived to Quebec. Um, and uh, actually, corn uh, and Wheatlacoche is basically a corn smut. And uh, now with new technologies and GMOs, uh, they actually have created corn that is non-sensitive to the corn smut. Smutless corn. And uh, so we work with Monsieur Desoirins and uh, they said that is maybe 40 minutes off Montreal. And uh, he actually seed saves uh, open pollinated seeds that actually is from a corn from the Iowa, that is the Wapsi Valley corn. And uh, while we grow it, we take uh, maple sap, uh, water that we have been fermenting a bit on the side, and uh, as soon as we see the first wheat lacocha being made, corn smut into that corn, we just actually extract it and make a type of a compost with water. And then we're going to inoculate the other corn. So not only there's wheat lacocha, but what type of wheat lacocha you want to have. So we use like flin corns that are something a bit more solid and less sweet. But we replace the sweetness of the corn with the maple sap. Something funny about the wheat lacocha is that there's a, a very flavoral, uh, flavor-like impact into it that it, you call sotolone. And sotolone actually is a, a, a flavor profile that you have in the maple syrup. So while we were making it, we said, okay, let's do a wheat lacoche where by enhancing the sotolone ingredient flavor profile into it. So we do not try to recreate um, a wheat lacoche the Mexican way. We're just trying to recreate a Huitlacoche that is sensible to the territory where it's actually grown in because it's a mushroom that grows on corn. Maple syrup. I mean, I was going to tease you a little bit that, you know, Montreal is what everyone thinks of, you know, from Strange Brew. And it, it's maple syrup. It's a smoked cheeses, cheese curds, poutine. But mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot more than that. Yeah. And changing people's idea of even maple syrup, uh, you have a 70 bricks maple syrup you know on, on your product list what makes that so special uh well 
technically, I think, is all the love that is put in behind. I, I think gastronomy is a gesture before being a product. So it's just, uh, we took actually 10, 10 steps back when we were making the maple syrup. First, we started by uh, choosing a, an area. And uh, we found uh, Mr. Samalak that has actually uh, maple trees. And the maple trees are 150 years old in average. Uh, so we actually created lots. We had 3,000 trees accessible to us. We created lots of 50 unit of trees together, depending on the soil and where they were. And uh, we've been gathering that sap uh, daily, every time that it runs through, like, let's say, between three weeks to a month. And uh, when we pick up the sap, we actually boil it every day at very particular lots and we have found out that depending on the on the weather and the time of the year and if it rains where it's a bit more sunny and depending on the weather some trees are going to actually um, give us a different sap from all the other right so it's about uh, taking a whole year a season and uh, reducing the syrup to 62 bricks at first that it, uh, you need actually 40 liters to make a liter of, of sap of, uh, of syrup and then it's about choosing them carefully, like blind tasting, like you will do for a sauterne, for example. And um, to give you an idea, we actually on uh, 2,500 liters, we only kept 500 this year. And the 500 liters were into a, a scope of only four days. And then we bring it to 70 bricks. So we need to have 56 liters to make a liter of syrup. So it's a very, very... Um, different into the way of doing it um, and also we only use the dead wood from the forest to burn it the classical way and we don't not use like inverted osmosis neither so what usually takes right now into a manufacturer to do in five to ten minutes it takes us uh, just for the process of boiling and choosing between 15 to 48 48 hours so i mean you're, you're a curator you're, you're not just a purveyor of these products you're actually coming up with some of these ideas collaborating with the farmers it's it's a much bigger relationship than just that with earth i mean it, it's it's inventive um where do these ideas come from do you go to you know chefs and restaurant tours or do you try to drive the market by you know thinking these things up i i think we i like to be an agitator uh, so uh <laughs> we go a bit around uh we forage you know that's what we do. We forage for ideas because everyone is an inspiration. Huh? So while having the chance to come here to New York once in a while, having the chance to go to Europe once in a while, to go to the countries, uh, to actually meet between chefs that are outstanding people and uh, farmers too, you know, like reading, trying to grab something, you know, like we just do a cocktail of ideas. And then I think it's important sometimes, you know, when you really back your products and you back your ideas and what you're doing, to taking chances you know like sometimes we we try to create something that it's aiming to a very comfortable zone and everybody really likes it what i like to call like comforting you know but uh, i like to shock once in a while or to come in with a product where you say oh this is a flavor that i'm not really used to it but i'm, I'm eager to to work around it and sometimes it's big disasters but sometimes it's big success so i i think it's super interesting on that way keeps us awake so what are some of those shocking flavors i, I mean i remember the first time i had the the juniper berries um and you know they, they don't look like juniper berries at first and when you put them in your mouth all that pickly all that you know floral nature that comes out uh you know it's kind of amazing it's funny because this one we call them the uh, immature uh, uh, juniper capers so you have this image of a capers where you have a piece of fish or anything else or you use like a, a bird blanc with it but what's funny about it is that you pick one and you chew on one and it's like big water of 
Cologne, you know, it's like super, really, really intense. So it, it's funny because people have to use one in the dish instead of having to use 15 like we're used to. So I find it's super interesting. And the flavor profile of juniper, you're like, you really get juniper, but into a different flavor profile that you usually get it. I mean, I just stuck my finger in this amazing raw spring honey. Um, and you talking about using one rather than the, this amount that I think we're used to is really a distillation of the flavor of, of the product itself being so beautiful and pure already. Tell me about this honey, which is, what, only a few days uh, from e- extraction. and it's, it's glowing. It's freaking uh, orange. Why, when we were making the spring honey, something that was really funny was we wanted to take care of the bees, you know. When you work really closely with nature, and now you know, you know, like there's all this bees propaganda, something happening, everybody's always telling me, well, you know what, insecticides, pesticides is really tough for bees. And I'm like, well, I agree with it, but let's take it 10 steps back. You know, like sometimes we try to make a honey and uh, we want to do a, a very particular honey and we're going to put the bees into a buckwheat uh, field. Imagine yourself eating buckwheat for three months. Probably you'll be lacking in some nutrients or some other elements and you will just eat buckwheat and it will get you sick and probably just a, a little less tough, you know. So we wanted to do a place where the bees will be happy. So we find this place in Gaspésie that is on the Atlantic seashore. And uh, we actually put it, the bees have a three kilometer mem- memory per- pretty much. So we put it 1.5 kilometer from the sea, 1.5 kilometer from the forest. So they're actually foraging on, I mean, it's almost an unlimited variety, but let's say pr- predominantly like 125 different uh, vegetable species that you're actually foraging on it. So that creates density and it keeps them alive. And uh, so if they're healthy, they're going to give you a better honey, something with really a particular profile. And that type of profile cannot be recreated nowhere else in the world. So we're talking about a North American honey that is made into a very particular spot, and it's delicious. But there's also other aspects, and I'll just name one into, into this one, is that we actually raise the beehives from the soil. While we were taking and walking in the forest and to see where the bees, or even if you walk around home, very rarely the bees are going to do uh, their nest on uh, on the ground floor uh, the nests on the ground floor were put to facilitate the job right so what we do is that we raise the beehive six feet in the air uh, that we need to have access with a, a type of uh, i don't know you call this in english but you know the thing that you go up an escalator yeah. but, you know like made out of wood or whatever so we just escalate and we remark that the sound was very different the bees were not stressed of being on the floor because they had product you know like there's bears that thing happens you know in Gaspésie and foxes and stuff like that so we even seen the difference with the sound and since we have done those small little changes uh, I mean we don't even have a loss of bees uh, more than five percent so I mean I, I think it's interesting to move that way so the more natural an honey is the more tasteful it is so you know like again gastronomy is the gesture is the why before the how I want to talk about that scene, you know, where you actually place the bees mm-hmm. between the ocean, between the water and the forest. Yep. Because there are so many parts to Canada, to, you know, Quebec, that people don't know. Yep. Tell me how it ranges from the waterways to, you know, the boreal forest. Well, the boreal forest is maybe 65% of the Quebec climate. Uh, we're talking about maybe the 47 parallel to the, I mean, 51, 54. 52nd maybe parallel that's that's the boreal boreal climate and the boreal climate is more into a forest climate right so uh, i mean 
people usually know about Quebec or Canada, you know, they know the big cities. Uh, Montreal is an outstanding city. I, I find it's like a mini Brooklyn, maybe super. And we get lots of inspiration from New York and Brooklyn, obviously. Um, but yeah, the, the rest of Quebec is very different. You know, like uh, we have land, the importance of having land, you know, like Quebec, after you move an hour and a half from Montreal, you can actually build a house and have three kilometers by yourself without seeing no one. So that gives you time to, um, for an escape, to actually enjoy mother nature and to, and to be creative, you know, like you need sometimes to really get off the box, to be able to come in with ideas or understand a bit more what you're doing. So I mean, you look at the products that you carry, uh, are the majority in that area outside of the city? I mean, are you walking along the sidewalks of Montreal and finding any of this stuff? I'll give you an example. We bought a we bought a new car uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, we have 110,000 clicks on it right now, so uh, it's lots of driving uh, because we believe in in having a business that is a one to one relationship. That is with the pre- with the people we work daily. That we collaborate close. Um, uh, that being the farmers and the people that we work that are the chefs that we come and meet personally at least once every month because that's what we need in our world is this one-to-one relationship so we are able to get the message and to be able to share how we feel and to get a, a good feedback. So, uh, no, you know, I'll give you an example. The um, is six hours from Montreal. Uh, all the wild spices are 12 hours from Montreal. So some of the spices are actually further down than me coming down to New York. <laughs> you know... I want to talk about how you honor people, too. Uh, you go on the website, and underneath Way of Life, it's just a list of the families that you work mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. How important is it for you to highlight them just as much as you're highlighting you know, your product or its flavor profile? Uh, I think it starts... When we first did this business, it was about creating a business according to the farming fa- family reality, right? So, I mean... These people are the stars. Uh, very rarely we're going to go to a symposium on food or uh, we're going to talk about food and really rarely we're going to hear even the word farmer. It's funny. Even when I go to symposiums on agriculture, we talk about business, we talk about markets, but we don't never even mention the word farmer. So, uh, I mean, I think it's important because these people are the stars. And I find that sometimes the the little handicap that, that I find that we have in agriculture is that these people don't have we always trying to remove their private way and uh, so they love their their land so much that they are so stuck sometimes into doing a, a certain way and the way farming is done is very paternalistic so uh, what we want to try to do at Société Réal is to grab young people uh, older people to blend ideas together and to be able to emerge that creativity level because sometimes you know it's funny but for them to make a change it's not about making more money it's about losing their owl you know because they live in their home they actually live where they are so they're very scared sometimes to do changes because uh it implicates all their life and not only their job so uh so that's what we're trying to do you know like we we stand by them and people stand by us and together we're stronger so we're going to take a quick break but then we're going to come back and talk about the summer 2013 atelier cool man great new changes in society right now we'll be right back you've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org hi i'm steve jenkins from fairway markets 
I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Alex Cruz of Society Organon. Am I saying that right? That's perfect. <laughs> that is, perfect. is it actually perfect? Uh, it's perfect. <laughs> it is. So 2013 is a very exciting season. Um, on your website, underneath 2013, you click and you see things like hop shoots, Hascap, don't even know what that is. Uh, crown daisy, potato cucumber, sour cucumber, saltus, rat tail radishes, nodding onion, and so many more things that exist but don't exist yet. Mm-hmm. What is this list? Uh, this is like a, an expression wall for us. Um, we believe that food is a peaceful way of sharing your culture, but at the same time, it's a peaceful way of learning about others. So on that wall is a little blend of northern native uh, and a bit of... Uh, uh, wild northern native, native uh, varieties. There's also some wild varieties that we're trying to farm because they're super, uh, very low into quantities and they're endangered. Uh, there's another uh, uh, section that we grab a bit from everywhere in the world as well. So technically we're trying to grow uh, present. Like I say, lots of people concentrate on the past. Some of them, of us, concentrate on the future. We want to concentrate on our present because I think and we believe that there's a big value to that, too, of living in your own pace. And uh, so it's a little blend. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, when we grow, I'm trying to really have something that grows easily, uh, something not very complicated, because I find that that's farming. Uh, you know, like you're trying to find a symbiosis with the herd. If you seed something and you always need to be there and the seasons have such an impact on, on harvests, I mean, maybe you should not be growing it. So uh, it's a quest of finding something that fits with the farmer's personality, with the farming uh, reality of the territory. And uh, also at the same time, it's a wall to come in with the restaurant business and try to offer them something that maybe they're not really used to, about having a new ingredient, a new vegetable. So, you know, like through farming, we, we express ourselves. So this is a very good idea of what we're trying to do. I feel like this is a very similar spiel that you gave to people when you were Somalia. You know, um, but it's interesting to see that, you know, uh, we think of, you know, lots of biodynamic wines as farming now or starting to. But then when we see ingredients that are foreign to us, uh, it doesn't necessarily 
you know, fall in that same vein. Why, why do you think it, you know, wine is one thing and, you know, all, all this other farming is separate? Uh, I, well, it's a very good one because actually viticulture is an agriculture, except that we put a, a particular name next to it, right? So technically it starts by there. I think it's a quest as us as even North Americans, you know, we, we haven't been used to it. And I think that sometimes what we're trying to do is to seed one ingredient and we take a look at it in maybe 5, 10, 15 or 20 years from now. So I think that we have to start somewhere because at first even in wine, I mean, same thing in, in every wine region in the world that is a bit more newer maybe. We're trying to reproduce what has been done somewhere else, but comes a certain time. I will not call that uh, pride, but I will call this like confidence. We grab more and more and more confidence. We're starting to learn how it works, and now we're starting to, to bring more. Yeah? I mean, if five to ten years ago, even 20 years ago, we used to know uh, like classic cucumbers or potatoes. I mean, just in potatoes this year, we're growing 15 varieties. You know, Out of those 15 varieties, I never tried most of them i mean i only tried two on maybe the 15 uh, so you know it's it's about a little quest about living in our present having a good time like i say and uh, it's very exciting you know like th that drives me a lot so th that's super cool you know like to actually grow things that i never tasted before i'm taking the chance into it it's 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 very interesting you know it's funny i see see buckthorn uh happen in like cosmetics yeah. a lot these days and not as much in food it's it's really really amazing it's fresh it's it's you know tangy it's citric it's kind of like a mango with a lot of citric acid to it uh -huh. um how did you stumble upon uh well we have some wild in quebec uh and it's actually a, a berry that has been grown in quebec for over 20 years but more into cosmetic uh like you were mentioning i find it's like uh, maybe an ordinary passion fruit as well yeah i was talking with derek about it. it's yeah. like yeah it's like very similar to a passion fruit and uh yeah I mean, it's super interesting. I'm working on a very particular project right now. Everybody is maybe more familiar with Membrio. I'm trying to do a Seabuckthorn Membrio at this moment. Uh, I find that it will be good to have a type of Membrio made out of Seabuckthorn on a, on, a, on, a uh, on a cheese shop where you go and you just cut a little slice and, you know, like you blend it with the cheese. I think it's a very interesting um, ingredient, Seabuckthorn. Well, I mean, let's talk about those spins too. Uh, you know, green sea urchin, Botarga. Yeah. Where did that come from? Uh, Green sea urchin botarga is really funny because I was in North Coast and they actually fish for a lot of lobster on there. And by fishing for a lot of lobster, uh, I mean, uh, it's a natural predator of the sea urchin. And uh, what's been happening is that they've been removing the lobster. And since uh, the sea urchins used to be eaten by lobsters, there's less lobsters. Uh, they're actually killing all the kelp because they feed on kelp. So when it got there, this and that, I'm like, if we could create something with sea urchin, it could be really interesting. And in the North Coast, it's always an issue for traveling. So what we have done is trying to create a, a, a sea urchin botarga, actually a, a, a cure to cure simply the botarga. And what we have done is that we, we took the gonads of the sea urchin and we actually, I mean, twisted them. And then uh, we actually cured them. And then uh, I wanted to have this very particular taste. So uh, I, I wanted to, I like really like, it, it may sound a bit cheesy, but you know, like salt, um, uh, fish and seafood, like, uh, I don't know, surf and turf type of terrier Mary. Yeah. But I didn't want to be <laughs> categorized as cheesy. So when we were walking around the seashore in North Coast, there was this um, sea lime grass that we called. So we took the seeds. Sea lime grass is like a, an old variety of rye berries. 
So we take the rye berries and we actually ferment them. So we boil them and we let create a type of uh, moss and moisture on top of it. So we take that type of moss and we inoculate it on the sea urchin. So it creates them some sort of an envelope. So when you eat, you have when you grate that, that potarga type of, we actually grate it and uh, it tastes like fish. And at the same time, it tastes like meat on the aftertaste. So it's like smoky pork, like potarga style. So it's super interesting. But the goal was to create a project for a, a city of 500 people in North Coast where, you know, in the past five years, uh, they actually lost their their, their last uh, gas station, they lost their last convenience store, and they're, like, really dying, and all the economy is moving towards, like, 50 kilometers north of where they live. So imagine that project being possible. We'll be able to, I mean, probably in the next five years, get another convenience store, another gas station. So for us, this is an objective that we have, saying we're doing this project so this community can at least have the humility of having a gas station in a convenience store instead of always having to purchase everything 50 kilometers north. So that's the objective on that project really is that. How important is humility to you? I, I, I think humility is part of us. It's just something that we have to work on daily because I, I, I think that on our natural day and natural way of life and especially living in, in, in the society we live right now, it's maybe a bit tough to get back at it. But I think humility is part of us at the base. So uh, I think it's just about taking the time to listen to you and taking a little break. And uh, I think humility is right there. You know, that's what drives us, right? We, we believe in collectivity. Uh, we don't believe in uh, Société Orniale, especially in the base. We don't believe in self-made people, you know. All the people that proclaim themselves self-made usually have help from everyone, but they just forgot. And uh, so we believe in a, in a collective work. So collective to work collectively, you need to have humility. And tr and I, I don't know if maybe I'm getting a bit more old right now, but I, I have more fun listening to people than talking to them right now. I think that's why I ask questions most of the time. <laughs> um, but, you know, Having chefs use your product, you know, like Miracle Gale, uh, you know, Sweet Fern, how do you draw that inspiration? And what are some of the dishes that you've seen and tasted, uh, you know, in New York or around the world using Society Orgnal, uh, you know, products that have just blown your mind? Uh, well, that's a very tough question because they always blow my mind. I mean, uh, you know, I, I believe more the people than the dish that they do. It's weird to say, but I, I really get excited when somebody sees something that that they have never seen before and that they put themselves in the margin and say, I'm going to try to do something with it. And right away, you have to leave me a sample. That's mm -hmm. the excitement that I, I really find. And, uh, you know, like, it's such an honor to go to restaurants sometimes. And, and I mean, they send you dishes and they're really happy of sending it. Hey, look, man, I thought about doing that with that. So uh, for me, th that's really what drives me. Uh, for taste, I, I prefer, you know, like, you really feel the taste of, of a dish with the chef's personality and the team, how they work. You know, like, again, I believe in a collective work. But, yeah, everything is really, really impressive, to be honest with you. What's really impressive is, what, a year ago you worked out of a cafe yeah. And now you actually have a warehouse. <laughs> we're getting... We're <laughs> and you getting have employees. Yeah. And, and you're traveling around the world making not only, uh, you know, a difference on people's palates, but in people's minds. Uh, I know you've been omnivore before and you've spoken on panels. How important is the ideology behind the product and, you know, being able to speak on that behalf rather than just flavor? Well, I think that North America has nothing to envy to the rest of the world. Um, I think that we have interesting people, uh, very dynamic, and I think that what, that's what needs to, to be driving. And, 
you know, like at first I was really against like big companies and food production and everything. But at the same time, all I want to do is to have a, a business where uh, we are changing maybe the way of, of seeing our food, right? Of always looking for, for, you know, like for cheap stuff and always trying to get bigger so we can have a better price for bulk purchases for everything. And at the same time, uh, I really like when when we as North Americans act as North Americans because uh, we have actually very singular values and those values have nothing to envy to the world. So I'm just trying to express that about being ourselves towards food, with food. Uh, you know, like at the end of the day, it's about having a good time and be who we are. And I think that that's what I'm trying to share. And you know, like to be invited into symposiums around the world gives me the opportunity to mention the word farmer once in a while. So that's really interesting. But also to say that North America is a super interesting place and, you know, like, and we have a good time. So looking through your manifesto, you know, it, it says Quebecois, Quebecois yeah. society. But you're talking on such a grander scale here yeah. about, you know, uh, dealing with the whole globe. Yeah. Are you ever looking to take this project, your company, across, you know, the oceans into different continents and look for ingredients outside of just Quebec? Uh, this is my dream, to be honest, to be able to go, uh, for example, to uh, to Africa, to take a look about what Africa has to offer is something really interesting. Uh, the Baltic countries really interest me as well. Um, actually, everything is interesting. Uh, once you get any country is interesting, any type of food is interesting, except that you really have to, to get into it and to really take the time to listen. Um, but yeah, right now we, we have to focus on Quebec. Um, because I find, first of all, that Quebec is a very important part of the North American heritage. Uh, not only we speak French, but we have very particular values. And I think that's, that helps to the richness of, of North America. So I'm trying to express that too uh, with the food that we share. But it's also, once again, it's about learning. Uh, I mean, I've never learned so much about uh, the American society than by coming here once in a while and to have the chance to go through the United States because it's a gorgeous country, you know. Uh, the image that we have from 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 United States usually it's always the same image, right? Uh, so when you get uh, and have the chance to meet with the people directly one by one, you find. Uh, I mean, I, I never met in my in in my life such nice people than people in New York. I mean, or or San Francisco, or just people backing us up and like really understanding and sincerely making the time in such a busy schedule. So, I mean. Food helps us to learn about other cultures, and th this is so important for us. It helps us grow and become better people, too, as well. And everything tastes amazing. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. First and foremost. But come back many a times. Keep on, you know, being inventive and smart and exciting and excitable about all these things, because I, I, I don't see a limit uh, to Society or Ignal or this ideology. Yeah. Um, so I'm just happy to be able to have a wee bit of time in your busy schedule cool man thank you very much for the love man yeah thank you. excellent and check it out and it's s-o-c-i-e-t dash o-r-i-g-n-a-l dot com and you can read it in french or english whatever you prefer for sure alex thank you again for being on thanks man you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org hope to have you back here next tuesday at three cheers Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.